Hey, good morning. Welcome to Shelby Bible Church. My name is Caleb, and I serve here as a family pastor. And I'm just so thankful for the opportunity to worship with you this morning. If you are new with us here at Shelby, uh, we would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you could just take a few moments and fill out one of our connect cards. Uh, and once you've completed it, you can take it out of the hallway after service to one of our high top tables. Those are called our hubs. And you can turn it into there and we have a gift for you. Uh, just, uh, just want to show our appreciation for you being here. And we have some information so that you can get to know Shelby a little bit better. You can also take a picture of the QR code right in front of you in the, in the pew back in front of you. And uh, you can fill out that form and uh, that'll help us connect with you as well. Uh, for those of you uh, here at Shelby, uh, whether you're new or you've been here a long time, we have this really awesome uh, resource for you that you can find at our hubs. And what this is, is this just lays out all the ministries that we he have here at the church and the dates of their upcoming events. And so if you wanna know uh, when our next ladies Bible study is, you can go to one of our hubs, they'll have this there and they can help coach you uh, on when that's going to happen. Uh, and so with our hubs, the goal of those is we want to use those to help welcome those who are newer to our church and then the central one where the Welcome Center used to be, that is where you can go to sign up for events through the iPad. You can go find those, um, those sign-up sheets if you're in the Prime Timers group. And uh, that's where we want you to go if you have questions or if you want to sign up for activities. Uh, if you have any other questions outside of that, uh, please call the church office, go to one of the hubs, and we'll be able to help you there. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning at Shelby, and I'm looking forward to worshiping together with you. Well, it's good to be together this morning and uh, looking forward to a good day. We have a full schedule all day today and excited about that. Um, we This Sunday morning, we actually are going to be uh, having baptisms at 11 o'clock. And we have six people being baptized this morning at 11. And um, we, we don't baptize them twice. And so we thought we would want you to see at least their testimony. And so in just a moment, we're going to play their testimony for you, for you and let you hear about that. But I want to read a verse of scripture here. Uh, for us this morning. And before we do that, I want you to pray for Pastor Caleb. He's under the weather this morning. Uh, he texted me late last night and said, I don't think I'm going to make it in. And so keep me in prayer. And so pray for him if you would, that God will give him strength and get him back on his feet. Um, <clears throat> but we're going to be reading for you from the book of Psalms 107. And uh, I'm just going to read these verses very quickly. You can stay seated. He said, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from trouble, and gathered him from the lands, from the east and from west, and from north and from south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them, that thank, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of men. Amen. When we stand on baptismal Sunday and these confess what the Lord has done with them, we rejoice with them as the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. And so I want you to listen to these videos and hear and just rejoice in these testimonies. After we do that, we'll come back and have a word of prayer together. I was saved when I was in the kitchen I think it was night, and I was with my mom. I I want to thank my grandpa, Miss um, Wendy. She was one of my Sunday school teacher, and my parents. I want to be a, a
able to uh, get baptized so I can tell everybody that I have been saved. I'm here today to publicly profess that, that Jesus Christ is my Savior. Um, I was even Miss Mandy just got done and um, talking and she said if anyone wanted to get saved she could come back so I went back and then I was got saved. I'd like to thank, thank my mom and dad, Miss Mandy, and my um, grandparents. I want to be baptized so I can live my life for God and um, show everyone that I was saved. I'm here today to publicly profess that Jesus Christ is my Savior. Hi, we're the Lathams. We've been here at Shelby Bible for about five months. Uh, my name is Aaron. My name is Anna. My name is Chloe. My name is Chapley. My name is Shane. So my story of salvation and how I came to know Christ is probably similar to uh, many of those who grew up in uh, the church, um, as did I. Is I gave my life to the Lord um, at a very young age, and then um, probably my late teens is when I would say I became a true uh, follower of Christ. And then uh, through circumstances of life and um, some stuff that just happens, life happens, we came to a point uh, for about the last 10 years we've had to really take a deep look at what we believe and why we believe and we've had uh, a lot of changes um, as the Lord has uh, brought to light and really had us studying uh, a lot deeper His scripture. So um, a big reason why um, we're here is that, you know, obviously the reason we're here is we want to be baptized uh, today and we want to put to death some of the old habits, the old uh, thoughts, the old beliefs uh, that we have. So I also grew up in the church. Um, uh, my family was all involved in ministry. We grew up in the same church actually. Um, my grandpa was a pastor, my dad, my uncles. Um, we grew up in the same church and were there till we were both about 30. Um, unfortunately, things kind of fell apart there for us. We went through a church split and a leadership failure there that caused both of us to go into you know a crisis of faith and um, we had to walk through a long season of um, just asking God to show us the truth and I think that's um, an ongoing thing but I was saved when I was young as well but I recommitted and surrendered my life as a teenager However, walking through that church split and the leadership failures and all of that, um, family splitting apart, friends leaving, just really had um, a huge impact on my faith and I had to surrender to the Lord, you know, over and over. And I think I have to surrender to him every day. And um, it's hard to talk about without getting emotional, so I'm just gonna wrap it up. Um, he has been so gracious to me and to our family. Um, and leading us to the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And we are here today, you know, to um, make that public and be um, public about our faith and not be ashamed of it and put to death some of the doctrines and old ways of thinking that we grew up in. And um, we're ready to be fully surrendered for the rest of our lives um, to Christ. And um, we're not ashamed of that. And we're super happy to be in this local body of believers right now. Mine isn't as long as my parents, but um, when I was five, my mom helped me get saved at my house, and then I, I was always going to church my whole life, 
And then around ninth grade, I recommitted after uh, the Good Friday service. So, so I also been to church my whole life, and I got saved when I was um, at a young age. And at youth camp last summer, I recommitted my life. I um, got saved when I was about four or five with my mom and dad at the house, and I've recommitted myself a number of times. And I think through all of this, we can say that we've seen the hand of God working uh, through our fan, uh, family. Uh, his grace and his faithfulness has just been um, there uh, you know, throughout everything. So we're just very thankful. We are here today to publicly profess that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Amen. And we rejoice with that, rejoice with what God's doing and uh, in the lives of these people. And the first two young people, those are uh, Madeline and uh, Crosby. And, of course, you guys know those are Pastor Casey's grandsons, our grandson and granddaughter. And, uh, and so Brother Mike, uh, their dad, uh, and I don't know if many of you might not know this, but Brother Mike worked on staff here for a time and pastored in Ohio. He's actually going to have the opportunity to baptize them this morning at the 11 o'clock hour. And so we rejoice in that as well. And so let's join together in a word of prayer as we begin our service, and uh, we'll get into things this morning. Father, we thank you for the testimonies we've heard already, and we're just the hope of the gospel. Father, thank you that as we go through life, you draw us to you, and Father, you clarify your purposes for us, and you lead us and guide our steps. And Lord, I pray, Father, this morning that all that is said and done will be pleasing to you, be with our musicians and uh, vocalists this morning as they lead us in worship. Or may we follow and sing out from a heart that is yielded to you this morning. It's in the precious name of Jesus we ask all these things. Amen. Good morning, Shelby family. Let's all stand together as we worship the Lord together.
Amen. Thank you so much for the music this morning and uh, wonderful message. God is holy. What a holy God. I want to talk to you just for a few moments this morning before we open our Bibles together. And um, just as a pastor and people just chatting just for a moment if we could. And then I think the text will tie into uh, the conversation we have this morning. Um, you know, as we look around our church, we've, uh, over the last four years, God has taken us through some pretty pretty incredible changes, really, uh, when you go back and look where we were four years ago as a church, and some of those changes were very necessary in light of um, the world events and COVID and the way those things happened, and, and uh, we, January, I think it was of 19... Uh, we were talking uh, with the deacons about the possibility of going to two services. And some of you remember when we had all the chairs in here and the choir up on Sunday, and it was just elbow room, just we were this close, you know, it was, we were packed in here. And um, that's a good problem to have, but it's also an expensive problem to have. And uh, we were like, well, what are we doing? What are we going to do to solve this? How are we going to fix it? And we went through permeations of like, well, can we knock this wall out over here and make like an annex into that hallway out there and and uh, how could we fix that and and somebody said well what if we put a balcony up can we do that and uh, and the, I don't know and and if they'll be more expensive than just to try to build something and and we went around and we even we even called a couple of architects and said hey can you draw something that would try to meet our needs and they do some little sketches and they give conceptual ideas and we've kicked that around well then we went to January of 2020, and I said, guys, all right, here's what I think we should do. I think we should go to two services, and that should be the starting place. Let's go to two services. This is January. This is before I even knew what COVID was. Um, and I said, we should go to two services. And I said, here's the, here's the commission I want to give to our deacon board. By September of this year, let's have a plan in place to go to two services so that we can launch that to the church in September and be at two services by January of 2021. And like, okay, so that's what we agreed to in January of 2020. Well, then March hit us, and we weren't even having one service. Nobody was here. I was talking to that camera back there, and I had to look at Brad every week. Yeah. And um, that was uh, an interesting three months of live streaming. And then we uh, went through the process of bringing people back into the auditorium. And, um, and then since we've opened back up, God has just blessed us with an influx of new members as a part of our church, and uh, so many of you have been added since we reopened at the middle of 2020, and God's brought so many new faces in, and I know for a fact that, that change can be unsettling, and I know that's the reality. I, I personally don't like change at all, and most human beings do not. I'm not an adventurous person. You can ask my wife. Um, she's like, hey, you want to go snow tubing? I'm like, what? I'm warm. Why would I do that? That makes no sense. But she's like, it'll be fun. I'm like, what part of getting ice in my face, my jeans soaking wet, is fun? I don't get that. But the kids love it, and I hate the biggest part, I'm just be honest, is going to the bottom of the hill and climbing back to the top. That's what I hate about it. So, But I, she's like, don't you want to try a new restaurant? I'm like, I don't want to risk dinner on trying a new restaurant. I know this one's good. Why would I try a new one? That doesn't make any sense. My wife is far more adventurous. I tell her, if it wasn't for her, we would be more boring than I am right now. I would be extremely boring. And uh, she is the spice to our world in that regard. So I understand 
the, the frustration with change. And uh, a lot of times people say, there's so many people, I don't know them all. Now, I, I know this is a tough one. Here's one way you can get to know them. Hi, my name is, just, just so you know, they don't bite. So introduce yourself. Even if you're new to the church, you can introduce yourself to people you don't know and, and be intentional on that. But change can be unsettling. And I, I do think that if we're not careful, the enemy can find a foothold in the midst of change. Uh, to cause discontent in our own hearts. And uh, but here's the thing I want to commit to, is though we may have to change order of services or uh, the way we do service times uh, or even uh, what the auditorium or the hallways look like, the thing that is not going to change is our confidence in the Word of God and our vision to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and gathering on a Sunday morning to lift our voice in worship to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And uh, we have that as our goal. We want to teach our children the Word of God. We want to stay faithful to those things. And I think when things do change, we must grab a hold of what doesn't change. And I think it's also important to understand that change is necessary for growth. Um, if we're going to go forward, you have to change. You have to adapt. Um, I'm reminded of the story of the pastor who came to the church, and he just got there, and he stood in the pulpit on the first Sunday, and he said, folks, I just want you to know I am committed to give all of my strength and energy and wisdom to bring in this church into the 20th century. And one of the folks said, Pastor, it's the 21st century. And he goes, one century at a time, please. One century at a time. Um, churches tend to lag behind. And we don't like to change. We don't like to come up to that speed. And so, um, you know, and we, we saw that need for space then. And, um, you know, and I think as we think about those needs, we've been talking with the leaders for a need for space for our children's program, we had a meeting in this auditorium a few weeks ago and had all of our leaders in here. And I said, everyone that you're teaching a class, you're leading in a growth group, tell me, what do you see are the three biggest needs of our church physically right now? Physical needs. And we kept hearing a reoccurring theme would say things like a multi-purpose building, a children's wing, a, uh, a larger area to gather in, a gymnasium. And the idea of this kind of an annex building or something that would be big enough to house us all in, to give us a place to uh, fellowship and get around one another and to, uh, to just be together at times too. Uh, you know how the hallways can get tight. And uh, we, we moved the information desk out to give us a little more flow in the hallway. Uh, we've done a few things uh, down toward the nursery to make it just a little more ease of access into these rooms. And uh, none of that is done just to get rid of something. Everything we're doing is prayerfully considering just to say, how can we make what God has given us work and how do we steward it well? And so I just want you to come to you and just say, hey, I want you to pray with me. And the deacons, as you know, we meet regularly together. And we met this last Thursday night and just began to talk about this. And we talked at length about it with the deacons, just looking for a place of ministry here to be able to thrive in, a place for the church family to fellowship and to grow forward in, and then to be able to make an effectual impact in our community here. Uh, we're going to spend the entire month of March talking about how to reach the world with the gospel. But let's not mistake the fact that the world, the mission field, starts right outside the doors of the church. And we have a community here that we want to make an impact in. And so as we talk together, we are currently, the deacons and I are currently prayerfully talking about how to move forward and what would be the next tool that we would need to accomplish the mission that God's given us here. And so I want you to pray with me on that, of what that would look like, um, that God would give us wisdom and insight 
to know what is best to do. And, and here's the thing, too. Let me just say this as I conclude these thoughts. Anytime you see something that you're like, well, that changed and I liked it, come talk to me. Door is wide open. I promise you this. Uh, you're never going to get the door shut in your face. You're never going to get scolded for asking a question. Um, just come and say, hey, I got a question. Hey, I have an idea. And uh, we're open to ideas and questions. And, and if you think I'm mean, talk to my wife. Am I breaking up, guys, when I'm turning my head? Is, you, is the mic going out? Okay, I thought I heard that. Let's try it again. It's not working. All right. Um, so, you know, seriously, if, if you could talk to Pastor Caleb, talk to myself, talk to Dylan, uh, grab one of our deacons and just ask the question. Um, and, uh, and so don't, don't let ever let a change or something new cause a, uh, a, a, just even a, a, an inch of dissension or discouragement in your heart, but come and reach out because our mission is not changing. Uh, we have a desire to seek the glory of God through making disciples, through personal relationships or intentional relationships and personal sacrifice and keep laboring in that direction until the Lord returns. Amen. So with that in mind, I want to take our Bibles and let's go to uh, 1 Samuel chapter number 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. And um, we're going to be looking at the life of David again this morning as we continue through this series. The three players in our account this morning are David, Jonathan, and Saul. We see these three men and we'll see them for several weeks now. As we walk through this account, David is going to be confronted with some pretty hard realities in this chapter. Saul is confronted with them, and they respond completely different. David is confronted with them, and he responds in a spirit of humility and obedience. Saul does so with envy and anger. Jonathan responds in humility and surrender. And it's interesting to watch these men respond differently. You know, as we come to this text, I want to read the first five verses of it to begin with, and then we'll journey through the text together. Let's begin reading in verse number one of chapter 18. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul, and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor, even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we ask you, Lord, that you would just take uh, this passage of Scripture this morning and drive this into our hearts Holy Spirit of God, that you would give us um, insight and clarity as we walk through it today as well. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' precious name, amen. We'll all be faced at some point or another with adverse circumstances and still the responsibility to do what is right. Norman McLeod wrote the, wrote the poem, Trust in God, and do the right. Courage, brother, do not stumble. Though thy path is dark as night, there is a star to guide the humble. Trust in God and do the right. 
Let the road be long and dreary and its ending out of sight. Foot it bravely, strong or weary. Trust in God and do the right. Perish policy and cunning. Perish all that fears the light. Whether losing, whether winning, trust in God and do the right. Trust no party, church, or faction. Trust no leader in the fight. But in every word and action, trust in God and do the right. Trust no forms of guilty passion. Friends can look like angels bright. Trust no custom school or fashion. Trust in God and do the right. Some will hate thee. Some will love thee. Some will flatter. Some will slight. Cease from man and look above thee. Trust in God and do the right. Firmest rule and safest guiding. Inward peace and inward light. Star upon our our path abiding. Trust in God and do the right. And I think that poem describes how David walks for the next many chapters. As here we come to this chapter, Goliath is dead, victory is won, and generally speaking, the amount of information we know about David is over with. We know David killed Goliath, and he became a king one day. But he's going to go through an incredible valley here. And when change confronts David, when uneasy times confront Jonathan, how do they respond? Now, I want to break it up this morning, and we'll look at verses 1 through 4. We see the love of Jonathan. Jonathan's love for David is obvious, and it's immediate uh, connection with David. He sees David's bravery, and I think if you were to go back and look at Jonathan's testimony, I think there's something that resonates inside of Jonathan with David, because Jonathan had been the guy that said, hey, God is not limited to save by many or by few. Let's go and make an attack. And God gave him a great victory just a few chapters earlier. And I think he resonates with David's courage and his passion to go after the enemy. And he says, let's go. And Jonathan trusts God. But it's become, I think, increasingly apparent that Jonathan is not going to be the next king. Jonathan, who is heir apparent to the throne, knows that his father has been rejected knows what the prophets have said, and now he sees this man, David, and what is his response to him? Jonathan strips himself of his robe, gave it to David, his armor, his sword, his bow, and his belt, and he gave them all to David, I think as a sign of acknowledgement that David was God's coming king. Now, what an act of humility and selflessness that Jonathan must have had. Jonathan trusts God with his future and humbles himself in the sight of God's servant. I want you to see the popularity and praise of David. David has just gotten done fighting and he won the battle against the Philistines. Goliath is dead and we come in verse number 5. David went out successfully and what we have is kind of a historical overview of the next several months. And then we come back down into a very focused conversation in verse 6. And as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and with songs of joy and with musical instruments. The picture here is that the whole army, after they've come back to Saul's tent, they've now struck camp and they're going back to Saul's uh, home place at Shiloh or maybe they're traveling back to where they're going to set up uh, the rule of the nation as they're walking back that direction. 
as they're in journey, they're coming through little villages and towns, and as they do so, they're meeting them with song, and there's parades, and man, look at the victory we have, and man, I can imagine Saul hearing uh, the music ahead of time as he's getting to the town and thinking, oh man, they heard about the victory, and they're having a party for us, and man... Uh, that's awesome. Maybe I'm back on the rise again, you know. The kingdom's back in my favor. I imagine he, if he had a phone, he was checking his popularity rating at the moment. And uh, he was like, how is it I'm doing? I'm, I'm up 10% in the polls today. This is great. And as he comes into these times, he gets into the city. And look what 7, verse number 7. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands. All good so far. And David is ten thousands. Yikes. Saul was very angry. The saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands. To me, they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? Now, if you trace Saul's life, you're going to know that he was very, very concerned about public appearance. He was very concerned about public opinion. He was not as concerned about his relationship with the Lord. He was, matter of fact, when Saul told him he was rejected as king, he didn't plead for the kingdom again. He wanted appearance to be preserved. At least make a sacrifice with me. Don't embarrass me here. And here, David is getting this praise, and Saul is taking the praise of David as a criticism. How many of you have ever been there before? Where somebody else gets a compliment, and we take their compliment as a criticism. Been there, done that. You know, I, I remember a few years ago, I'm going to put my wife on the spot here. <laughs> People are passive aggressive. Did you know that? If they get sideways with the pastor and they can't get a rise out of me, they'll go after the wife and try to get a rise out of her. And if they get sideways with either one of us, they'll try to divide us. Sometimes they'll be like, oh, pastor, you're such a great pastor. Susie, I really need to help you with those teaching you're doing, you know, and they'll give her a hard time, or they'll brag on her, and, and one lady, she walked up to my wife, and she had invited another pastor's wife to come and speak, and the pastor's wife did a great job, and she said, oh, Susie, I just want you to know, I have never heard a pastor's wife speak as well as that lady did, and she just kept going on and on and on, and they're using a compliment as a bludgeoning stick, you know, I'm like, how small-minded can you be, you know? And yet Saul is hearing the praise of David and his own praise, by the way. But he's hearing it as a criticism, not a compliment, not a praise of David. Proverbs 27, 21 says, A finding pot for silver and a furnace for gold, so is a man to his praise. A praise has a way of revealing what is truly on the inside. Sometimes I think praise is more detrimental than even criticism can be. Somebody once said, if people compliment you or they criticize you, treat them both like chewing gum. Chew on them a while. Make sure you understand the flavor, but whatever you do, don't swallow it. Because it's not meant to be eaten. David is hearing the praise, no doubt. Saul is hearing it. Envy begins to well up in him. He said, man, now what else can he have but the kingdom itself? We see the envy and anger of Saul next in verses 6 through 16, and we see this unpacked. As David gets all of this praise, he gets all of this excitement. David is going successfully in his work. In verse number 9, and the Bible says, And David eyed, or Saul eyed David from that day on. 
And the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. And as he did day by day, Saul had a spear in his hand. Well, that's what you want in a man who's angry, right? Give him a sharp weapon. And Saul hurled the spear for thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Now, every time I read this, I'm wondering, was this on two separate occasions or did he have two spears? Because if it was on two separate occasions, David has a very slow learning curve here, you know. But if it's at the same time, I get it. Maybe, maybe David's sitting over there playing with the lyre and Saul throws. David does a little, you know, Marvel superhero roll out of the way and it crashes into the wall and he grabs another one and throws at him. David sneaks out the door. I don't know exactly what the timing of this was, but on two occasions here, Saul has hurled a spear at David's head trying to kill him. Proverbs 27.4, wrath is cruel. Anger is outrageous. But who is able to stand before envy? And envy is overwhelming the heart of Saul and Envy, the Bible says in Proverbs 14, is the rottenness of the bones. When we, we begin to envy someone else, we begin to look across, or, or we even long for something that God hasn't put in our hands, and we begin to desire that for ourselves, it devours us from the inside. It, it, it makes us unable to stand. It, it's, it's destroying to the inward of us. Envy and anger continue as Saul looks at David and he angers. He's so angry with him. Someone said this, it is a dangerous crisis. John Flavel the Puritan, he said, it's a dangerous crisis when a proud heart meets with flattering lips. And what a, there's not been much truer statements made. Pride and flattering of others, pride and flattering of self. What was the effect of praise on David in this text? It seems to almost have rolled off of him. He seems to not even have noticed that they're singing, David has killed his tens of thousands. When, he's, when the idea of him marrying the king's daughter is broached to him, he's like, oh no, I'm not worthy to marry the king's daughter. I, that's not for me to do. I, I don't have anything to offer. And he still seems to remain very humble. And yet the effect of praise on Saul is he could never get enough praise. And if anybody else was getting praise, it was a criticism of him. Saul is conniving now to keep what God has taken away from him. Look at verse number 17. Then Saul said to David, here is my elder daughter, Merib. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battle. For Saul thought, let not my hand be against him. Let the hand of the Philistines be against him. Now, I, I skipped this part, but David, after having the javelin thrown at him on two occasions, Saul reassigns him to go and fight out in the field. Probably a good idea. And a, if, if, he, if Saul hadn't reassigned it, I think if I were David, I would have requested a transfer. But David, when he goes out in the field to fight, it's actually worse for Saul now because everywhere David goes, he has victory. And everything he does turns to, turns to gold. And, and everything is being prosperous as David goes. And it just inflames him even so much more. And look at verse number 16. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. 
And this picture of going out and coming in before him is that same picture of that, that entourage of soldiers going out and leading the mighty men into battle and then coming back in with victory before them as he went out and he came in before them and they saw him going out to battle, coming back with victory. And they see all of this and David's name is just growing in the city. Now, I don't think Saul gets parent of the year award here by any means. Because when he wants to cause David trouble, he said, I know what I'm going to do to cause that guy trouble. I'm going to have him marry my daughter. It's not exactly a compliment for his daughter, I don't think. I don't think it was necessarily her personality, but he wanted him to go out and fight the battle. He's thinking, if he's trying to win my approval to gain my daughter's hand, he'll be more brave on the battlefield, put himself in a harmful place and get himself killed, and I won't have to fool with David. The Philistines can kill him. Saul fears David. He's fearful of him. He doesn't want to lose his kingdom. He doesn't want to lose it to David. You know, let me say this morning, you cannot lose what God has willed for you. This is so important to understand that we cannot lose what God has given, and we, and we cannot keep what God has removed. And I think Job understood that, did he not? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And if God chooses to give Saul a kingdom, then God can secure Saul in that kingdom. But if God takes the kingdom away, no amount of javelins or conniving is going to keep the kingdom. And I think it's a very important thing that we understand that we, we, can't, we can't hold on to what God has taken. Many years ago, or several years ago now, probably 10, um, I was pastoring in, in Ohio and maybe even longer than that now, the time is going by so quickly, but I was pastoring in Ohio and, and I had a, uh, another pastor who was a former pastor to come and join the church. And he came in and was sitting down in a part of our church for several months and almost a year and I approached him and I said, hey, I'd like for you to work in uh, a, a, an adult class and do some teaching and, um, and discipleship. And, and he said, well, I'm really nervous about doing that. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to draw people away from the leadership of the church and divide the church. You know, I, and he was about 10 years my senior, so he had a little more experience than I did. And, and, uh, and he said, I just, I don't want it to be a thing where it becomes me and you and the church having to choose. And I remember looking at him that day and I said, I said, brother, I said, here's the thing you, you need to know. If God wants you to have my pulpit, he'll give it to you. And there's nothing I can do to hold on to it. But if God doesn't want you to have it, there's nothing you can do to take it. So you don't need to walk around fearful that you're going to pull people to yourself. Because if you do that, God will deal with you. And, and if I do that, God will deal with me. And I said, so you, I just want you to freely love the people that God puts in front of you in these classes and invest in them. Pastor and shepherd those people and do so freely. And let me just say, uh, do it with a reckless abandon of loving people and loving Jesus. And several years went by and we were talking about another change of him stepping in a different role, and he kind of expressed the same concern again, and I, I repeated the same thing to him again, and he said, you know, you said that about three years ago, and I wasn't sure I believed you then. He goes, but I believe you now. You're not worried about it. And, you know, there are days where envy gets a hold of my heart, and jealousy can take root, but I tell you, when you're walking with the Lord, and when you know he is in control, 
you understand that our standing is not based upon who I am or what I've done or even my talents and my gifting. But the position that God places us in is by his choosing for his glory. And God sets up and God pulls down whom he will. And we can rest in that. And, and I'll be honest with you, when my heart is right, that is a great freedom. Because I, I, I be real transparent with you this morning, I look around at the staff that God's allowed me to work with. They're all more qualified than I am. I look around and I think, I, I mean, I got a bachelor's degree from a little bitty Bible college that nobody knows. And I work with guys that got master's degrees. I got deacons on our deacon board that have got doctorates. And I stand around going, who is this guy? He's ground beef. That's what he is. There's nothing to it. And yet I understand this, that it's not the qualifications of certification or degrees that determine who God sets up or God pulls down. And so when God puts us in a place of leadership, we don't walk around going, well, I can't do this, or I can do this. We walk around saying, by God's grace, as long as it gives us this role to do, let's walk out for the glory of God. David and Saul, David is walking this. Saul is fearful of it. Now I want you to see the schemes. This is such a problem of faithless people. When we fail to remember that it is God that does his work, not man that does his work, then what we will do is we will plot and we will scheme and we will connive and we will manipulate and we will spend all of our energy trying to get an end that we want when God's already determined the outcome. And it is not necessary to scheme and manipulate. First off, he says, all right, we're going to give him Meribah and we'll just put him in the fight and surely he will die in battle because he's going to get over his zealous. He's going to get out there. He's going to think of burying my daughter and being the king's son-in-law. And he's going to do something stupid and get his head cut off. And I won't have to deal with him anymore. Well, that doesn't work. The time comes for him to get married and he's proven himself to be valid. He's proven himself to earn the right to marry this daughter according to Saul's standards. And he said, you know what? We're going to marry her to somebody else. So David's standing there on the wedding day, and she's married off to another person, and David's by himself. And then look in verse number 20. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Again, not dad of the year award by any means here, because he's like, oh, she loves this guy? Let me get him killed. Wow. And so he sends the word to them, and we'll not read the whole thing here, but I want you to jump down. He says, Saul said in verse 23, and Saul's servant spoke these words in the years of David and said, does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law since I am a poor man and I have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, thus and so did David speak. And Saul said, thus shall you say to David, the king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines that he may avenge of the king's enemy. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. He said, you know what, if just fighting doesn't get him killed, I'm going to put him in a real awkward situation and get him killed. And he said, I want you to kill a hundred of them and bring evidence of their death back to me. 
And David, he hears the word in verse number 26. And when his servant told David these things, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law before the time had expired. And David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And he said, you want 100? I'll bring you 200. And I can only imagine Saul's face when David walked in that day and presented this trophy. He's like, okay then, marry Michael. And he marries Michael. And all of, his, all of his conniving and his scheming has come to nothing. You know, envy will twist any good into evil and make murder look good. And in some ways, David has become bigger in Saul's mind than even God has. Warren Wisby said this, faith is living without schemes. Faith is living without schemes. David felt no need to grasp after what God had promised him. There was no scheme in David's hand. And by the way, David does concoct a scheme later on. He sets up his own scheme later on, and his schemes come to naught. They come to nothing but the ruin of his own family. Because you cannot scheme and accomplish what God intended. There is a boldness in, in right and doing right that David misses and Saul misses. Saul misses it here. David misses it later on. Why do we fear losing what God has promised so much? Why do we chase what God has never promised? And we panic when it leaves us. You see, David was not the cause of so- or the source of Saul's problem. But God's blessing exposed Saul for what he was. The problem with Saul was that the Spirit of the Lord had departed from him. That there was no trust in God in his heart. You see, David is in no hurry to wear the crown because he knows the king. And when we know the king, we don't have to be in a hurry to get where we're going. We can trust that he's going to guide our steps. He's the one that will bring it to end. And we understand in Psalm 59, as David wrote the words, God ruleth in Japheth unto the ends of the earth. Saul struggles to keep his crown we, we could worry less and enjoy life more if we would remember just this one phrase, we're not in charge. And if we understand that God's in charge, we can rest in that. Saul schemes to find favor with Saul, favor with the people, success in his life, return to power and position. These schemes come from a heart of discontentment and impatience. It removes God from the picture. It puts man in charge of his own destiny. Here's what I want you to hear this morning about Saul's schemes. No one schemes to honor God. Nobody sets up a scheme to honor God. We just do that. We don't have to go back door to bring glory to God. We just honor God. So faith is really what David is learning to walk in. It's literally the ability to trust and obey God. So as we walk in faith, as you and I walk forward, it is so important that when we face the unsettling moments of envy, fear, change, loss, that we walk in a life of faith to speak the truth. Just speak the truth. Love without selfish pride. Can can be content where God has placed you. Trust those around you. 
that God has placed them there. You know, here's the thing. How many have ever had somebody do you wrong before? None of you have? Okay. Um, so how many of you can find yourself being a little jaded by people who've done you wrong? And now somebody else comes along and like, oh, I know what you're going to do. I, I know what you're going to do. Here's the wonderful thing. When we can trust God, it allows us to trust people. Because here's what I know about the people that I've let close to me is they can do nothing to me that God doesn't allow. And so I don't have to walk around going, oh man, what if they did me wrong? They might do me wrong. And yet God is big enough to bring that wrong and turn it for good. And he can bring it and turn it for his glory. And I don't have to walk on eggshells and I don't have to walk around wondering I love Jonathan. Jonathan is about to lose the kingdom. I mean, it's pretty obvious, I think, to Jonathan's mind. Kingship's over. And what does Jonathan do? With every symbol of his royal lineage, he takes it all off and presents his sword to David. You know, I think it'd be a good idea if you and I walking around thinking we're on our direction somewhere, if we would just take off our royal robe, unbuckle our sword, and put them in the hand of King Jesus and just say, how about I let you be king? And I'll just be your servant. And when he's king and I'm servant, I don't need scheming. I can simply trust and obey. Jonathan removes all evidence from his, of his royal line and gives them to the next king of Israel. He removes all token of power and lays them down at David's feet. So this morning, as we are come to the purpose of this, here's the thing as we conclude in this. God's purposes will not be defeated. God has a plan, and he is unfolding it. We must regularly and daily remind ourselves to take, off, take our eyes off of men and off of self and turn our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. To take our eyes off of what we stand to lose or stand to gain and put our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ and understand that it is God that sets up and God that pulls down. David and Saul in this epic battle, it's not over. I wish I could tell you that Saul repents and everything's good. We're going to put a pause on this story for about four weeks and we're going to walk through missions together for the next four weeks to the month of March. And we'll be in the book of Acts we're going to walk through four weeks of Acts, but then we're going to come back here, and we're going to ask the question, what's the difference between reason and repentance? Saul has a lot of reason, but very little repentance. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we ask you that you would add your blessing to what's been said today. Holy Spirit of God, I know that many times in my own life, Lord, I have attempted to scheme and to accomplish my own ends. And Lord, every time I've done that, I've realized that ultimately you were guiding my steps and my efforts were futile to bring it all about on my own. Father, I pray that we would not look at those around us in envy and greed and in anger. Father, understand that it is God that we put our trust in. And no man can take away from us what you've given. And no amount of scheming can give us what you've taken from us. 
Lord, help us to be content in the trust in the God who provides. Let's stand to our feet this morning and we'll sing together as we dismiss. God's people said, you can be seated just for a moment, if you would. <clears throat> a couple, of, we have one member need that I just want to bring to your attention. If you know of or have a lead on a decent car for a family, we have a member in our church that is in need of a car. Just going to put that out of there. If you know of a good lead on something like that, if you could let us know. Brother Randy, is it okay if I have them contact you on that? Is that okay? All right, perfect. So he, he's not busy at all, so he won't mind taking all your calls. <laughs> so um, I'm gonna, if you have that and you want to grab him, tell him, write it down. You can also just write it down, say, I have a lead on this, put it in the offering plate, and I think it'll be a help to someone in their church. Um, if you're not signed up for the church community builder, uh, we have Ms. Melissa in the cafe today. You can go back there and get signed up, get your profile laid out. Uh, so don't forget that. It's still available. If you haven't got an email, let somebody know at the hubs out here in the hallways, the little round tables, and we'll get an email sent to you. And um, then finally, uh, this is the last announcement. Um, today, right after service, what time are they open? Did you find that out? They open at 1030, so they'll be open in about 20 minutes, but Culver's up here on 23. Uh, we're running a fundraiser. You just go up there and eat lunch, tell them you're from the church, or the Dylan's at the door with some other volunteers. They have a little flyer. You show them the flyer. You're from the church, 
and all the, the percentage of the proceeds, not all the proceeds, but percentage of the proceeds will go to this little fundraiser. And what's happening is some of our junior seniors are going on a missions trip this summer. And we haven't gotten all the details for that trip yet, but we need to start doing these fundraiser dinners. So go up there, fellowship. Uh, we're going to come up there after the 11 o'clock service, and we'll drop in so you can come between now and then all day long today. Show them the flyer, and it'll count, even if you go for dinner tonight, okay? And so... If you have any questions about that, you can see my beautiful wife over here, and she'll fill you in, or see Dylan, or one of the folks at the door. And then finally, we have new members coming for membership today, um, and I'm not sure if uh, the low patrons are here. I think I did see them. Um, there you are. Yes. Um, why don't you guys come down here so we can greet you? Are you okay with that? Okay. Come on down here, and then uh, Miss Linda Hicks. And then the Lathams, they'll be here at the 11 o'clock service. The Lopatrons are here this morning at 9. I want you to come by and welcome them. If you're glad they came for membership this morning, would you say amen? Very good. Give them a hand. That's great. Very good. And so Miss Linda Hicks, uh, Aaron and Anna Latham that you saw in the video and their family are also coming for membership and then the Lopatrons this morning. Uh, and so what we've been doing is on our members recognition days, uh, we've been asking for a motion to accept them into membership. And so I'd like to have a motion for one of our members to accept these and move. I do have a second. And same way, I got a second there. All right. All in favor of accepting them into membership, would you say aye? Any opposed in like manner? All right. None are opposed. All right. Awesome. 100%, you got a full, full vote, all right? Awesome, good. So I want you to come by and greet them today. Let's stand together. Come by and greet them on your way out, all right? God bless you. Thank you so much for gathering this morning. Absolutely, let's do that, yeah. Let me get Susie over here, too.